and welcome to Snoke Light. <laughs> yes, it is the Star Wars podcast that's been like, you know, talking about Star Trek occasionally. Um, yes, I'm Paul Wilson. I'm Liam Dempsey. I'm Matt Brothers. And we have a special guest with us today. Oh, yeah, I'm, Der- I'm Derek. Ar- Arnold. <laughs> I think that's the weirdest way I've ever said my name. <laughs> that's not normal. He didn't even say his real name on the other episode we did. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I was too drunk. I got to call myself Matt. <laughs> uh, we're here today to talk Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, or Star Wars The Force Awakens. Well, this has been a running joke, hasn't it, on the podcast about how when you get to six, that's the last one you start using a number for. (laughs) We are all bigger Star Wars fans than we are Star Trek fans. (laughs) And yet we have a Star Trek podcast. So this is going to be the episode where we finally get to celebrate that. But before that, Derek. Yes. Can you tell us who you are and what you do? What I do, yeah. So, uh, yeah, my name's Derek. Uh, I'm originally from Canada, uh, born and raised, and I moved here to London about 11 years ago, 12 years ago, on a whim. Thought there should be some good theatre happening over in England. Let's let's see. There, I hear there's some extra yeah. West End productions. Yes, like they're going to love me. <laughs> the ghost of Patrick Stewart just appeared to you at the New York Bears, like, come to England. Just Home of theatre. Yeah. <laughs> Shakespeare, and I studied <laughs> classical theatre in Toronto, so I was like, I'm a shoo-in. No, I, I definitely wasn't. Um, took me a long time to get a job here, but uh, yeah, so I've been here for about 12 years, and that's it, that's home. I, I knew I, when I moved here, regardless of work, I wasn't going home. And uh, slowly but surely, uh, I became, I fell into puppetry, and now I primarily do puppetry in film, which is something I never thought would be a career, but it most definitely is right now, so just riding the wave. That's incredible. How, how does one fall into puppetry? That's that's a very interesting thing yeah. to end with. Well, I mean, so so I went to school in Toronto. I was like, I'm going to study classical theatre because I was like, I want to be an actor. And I knew I could do physical stuff because when I was a kid, I started karate when I was five. Uh, it's like a family thing. My dad's in it. My brother runs his own karate club back in Canada. My sister's in it. Um, I did gymnastics as a kid. So the physical stuff I knew I could do. Um, and then, so I moved here and I, I realized really fast that nobody wanted to hire me because I couldn't do an accent, an English accent, a British accent. I couldn't do any of them. So why get a... Can we hear your British accent now? <laughs> no, it's horror. This is my British accent. <laughs> I sound British, right? This is it. This is it. Yeah. Um, so bad. And uh, I realized that, you know, why hire a guy to fake an accent when there's 20 guys in the room that have the real one? Um, and so just by happenstance, I heard that they were doing a show in the West End called War Horse, which is based off a Michael Moore Pergo novel about a boy in World War One whose horse gets sold to the army and he goes off to world. That's to the my war. horse. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he goes off to the war to uh, find his horse. Uh, and the National Theatre did this show. Became a, It's like the largest, most successful show to come out of the National Theatre in, in ever. Uh, it's touring around the world and it has life-size puppets in it. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. I've seen it. War Goose. Love it. Yeah, War Goose, yeah. So the horses are life-size. It takes three people to puppeteer them. There's like 37 puppets in the show altogether, but it's sort of centrally based around this idea of war. And uh, I heard that they were doing the production in Toronto. So I called up my old agent in Toronto. I said, I've been trying to get onto this play to be auditioned in here, and they won't see me because I don't have an agent. Can you get me on it? I flew back to Canada, auditioned, didn't get it. No. 
I was like, oh. Uh, and when I flew back... You travel for this interview, right? <laughs> yeah, when I came back to uh, London, uh, my friend was like, just email them and say thank you. And I was like, no, that's really... that's I don't want to do that. And he's like, just do it, man. So I emailed them and I said, look, thanks for seeing me. I live in England. I'd love to do any other work. And the guy was like, actually, they're recasting the West End show. I didn't know you lived in England. I'll, I'll put you up for it. You didn't I was like, have to come to Toronto. Yeah, I was like, oh my god. So I went in to do the uh, show. I auditioned for it in the West End. Didn't get it. It's like, oh. Realized that the reason I didn't get it is nobody left their contract. All the puppeteers stayed on. Uh, but, you know, by happenstance, luckily, and I say luckily in a really bad way, somebody was injured in the show. Uh and you were all about Eve moment. Yeah. Like, were you involved? It was an accident. Yeah, it was, I swear. <laughs> they needed somebody, so they called me. Can't prove well, I've just got off the phone. Inspector <laughs> has called to ask some questions. <laughs> and so essentially they called me up and they're like, look, we really liked your audition. Somebody's injured. Can you come in and learn the show? Mm-hmm. Learn the show. Uh, it took got three weeks. And then I was in the show. And that was... Yeah, I did the show for about two and a half years in the West End. And subsequently, I still do the show. I just did another like two month stint. Uh, they're on tour right now. So anytime there's an injury, I go back in and cover for injuries. Uh, so, Lock history of injuries has happened on this wall. <laughs> this this wall. Yeah, <laughs> it is a hard show, man. It's like the horses weigh like 10 stone. And then when you put Jesus. a rider on top, it's like 20 something stone. Are you just aware of the moment you're injured? the next year is going to sweep in you're like no. yeah, yeah <laughs> my time like, has come uh, it's gone full circle I'm a veteran now <laughs> <laughs> there's a long road to Force Awakens here this is the a thing because this, yeah. this is you are a guest today who's actually worked on the film we're talking about yeah and this is quite a rarity and you know we're privileged for us to have you here to do this yeah no yeah well, I think it's first time we've done a spotlight of the movies where we've actually had a guest who's worked on the film we're talking about yeah. specifically featured oh, player yeah yeah exactly so I mean we've had guests who've worked on Star Trek stuff things that we talk about but actually to have on the episode mm-hmm. like yeah that is weird. so yeah how did you get involved in the Star Wars world so I was doing War Horse at the time and uh Again, I thought, oh, you know, I keep hearing this company. I think they were called Blind Summit or something like that. They're a puppet theater company. Mm. I thought I'll message them and say, hey, I'd like to work with you. Shot off a random email to this company saying, I know you work with people from Warhorse. I'm in Warhorse. Can we work together? Ridiculously, they emailed me right back. And they're like, actually, we're working on a project right now. Can you come in and we'll meet for it? I was like, yeah, sure. Didn't know what it was. Uh, and then in this meeting, because I thought it was going to be an audition, but it, it was just a meeting. I sat down at a table, talked to the two guys, and it was they were doing the opening ceremonies for the London Olympics back in 2012. And they're like, "Do you want you want to do you want to be in that?" And I was like, "Heck yeah!" Okay. Essentially, they had a 90 foot or an 80 foot Voldemort that needed oh, yeah. to be puppeteered. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it was on like massive cables, and there was going to be like 10 of us. But then they had like other puppets around as well but specifically the Voldemort stuff. So I was like, yeah, I'll do that. It was a six-week contract. So I jumped onto the Olympics, rehearsing during the day, going to Warhorse in the evening. And it was on that job, I met a guy named Brian Herring, who was one of the puppeteers on the Voldemort. And uh, we were just, because, I mean, it was long days and we had nothing to do. We were there every day for six weeks and we weren't really doing anything until like the last week. Mm. So the only thing we talked about were film. So we just we just had this love and and Brian I think he's watched every movie ever made 
in cinema history. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so we used to always play Six Degrees. And not necessarily of just Kevin Bacon. We would do like, mm. okay, I'm going to pick Clint Eastwood and, you know, some random actor and you got to sep- connect them within six. So we would just trivia each other every day. We stayed friends for about a year. He called me up a year later. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm just finishing my contract on Warhorse. He goes, you going to leave? And I was like, I don't know, maybe. He's like, I'm working on a project. Uh, there's a puppet involved that's sort of built like Warhorse, where we need two people inside controlling the front legs and the back legs. Uh, I was like, yeah, cool. What is it? He's like, I can't tell you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, whatever you need me to do, I'll do it, man. He's like, all right, come to Pinewood. Uh, and, and we'll just sort of go from there. And I was like, all right, sure. Moved to Pine, uh, showed up on Pinewood. He was like, all right, I need you to sign these non-disclosure agreements. I'd never seen a non-disclosure agreement in my life. He's like, essentially, you just can't say anything. I was like, all right. Uh, it was about a movie called Avco. And at that time, I was thinking, God, this is a dumb name for a movie. Yeah. Who's going to watch a movie called Avco? I quit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just tore that agreement up. And yeah. Now. Like, yeah. No. <laughs> so I signed the papers and walked into the room and it was the offices and they were... Um, it was for the creature department for Star Wars. And the code name for, for Force Awakens was Avco. Um, so and there's nothing that tipped you up on the way in. Nothing. Like, no. no. Like nothing. Because you weren't greeted by a golden droid. No, God, no, no. It's like it, uh, up until then, they were right in a new studio in Q Block. So it was like all brand new offices. Mm. I'm like going, what are we doing? It's not until you walk through the door. Anytime like at Pinewood, anytime you're taking like, say something from the creature department or in any department from one building to the next, it has to be draped in black cloaks. Mm. So nothing ever sees the light of day in, in, or in the offices themselves. Like everything gets cloaked and draped and everything. Mm. It's nuts. Um, I did wonder how the secrecy worked there. Cause yeah. I've done a few bits there, but before the Star Wars stuff kicked up again and like nothing secretive. So no one really cared. People were just leaving shit everywhere. And now I'm like thinking, I can't yeah. imagine the crackdown. Yeah. Like, all the drones outside, like Darth Maul's trying to find somebody <laughs> yeah. drowned. Like, yeah, they are strict on that, man. They are like the security. And you know, every now and then there's leaks and stuff like that. You can only do so much nowadays, but security is so strict on that. And at the end of the day, if you appreciate making films and you like making movies you don't want to screw that up it's so weird so sometimes when i'm working on a movie and people have their phones out i'm like what are you doing like what are you why do you have your phone out right now and do you turn british when that happens <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you like they see somebody it's like so what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's the best accent ever. <laughs> you pillar <laughs> like people will listen to me if i play a british accent <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's a like stupid american <laughs> yeah. so uh so yeah, so I walked into these offices and I was like, this is nuts. Um, and it was to do, there's this small scene in Abu Dhabi uh, at the beginning of the film where BBA gets caught into a net. Mm, yeah. And there's this Tito, this small alien that's riding. That's just beast. Tito. Yeah. Well, me and my friend were inside that big sort of beast, which right. they call the Lugger Beast. Uh, but during when we were filming, we called it the Small Beast because there were two of them. Um, so we spent six months prepping and researching that so we'd go in every two or three days a week to pinewood because originally it was supposed to be a robot in ice like uh because you know later on in the movie they go to um they go to the ice world whatever it is yeah it's dark, it's dark in the base. Base. yeah 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 
So they go there and originally that was supposed to be there and it was supposed to be like a robot. It had the feet of an at-at or an ATAT, however you want to say it. <laughs> oh. uh, ATAT, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, it had all of that. Uh, and then JJ was like, he saw it and he was like, I don't think that's working. Um, and so he sort of like changed it to be half beast, half animal. And it was a process. But yeah, it took about seven months. But while we were there for seven months, they're like, you guys are here all the time. Do you want to do some more stuff? And we we're like, me and my friend Tom, uh, Tom Wilton, we do everything together now. We, we run a company now together that does this. Um, Goes to the toilets, get well. Everything. So we were like, heck yeah. And uh, we ended up doing like five or six more aliens on that, that movie. And then... They've just invited us back. I think by time episode nine comes out, I'll, I've ticked off about nineteen or eighteen different aliens I've done over wow. the five, yeah, the five movies, which I think is up there with Warwick and not, uh, the most. So I assume was it kind of filmed in sort of order? The Abu Dhabi stuff was the first stuff they filmed uh, for for yeah. Seven, it was so. the first two weeks of filming was Abu Dhabi. So were you there first day? Yeah. So uh, we flew out, and the first three days of Abu Dhabi was just prep. So, and I remember our boss, Neil Scanlon, was like, we're going on set um, to Unker Plut. Like, because that was built like six months previously just to let the weather just tear it apart and mm-hmm. just like look like it really belonged there. So we went on the first day because they were rehearsing the Hapabore, which is that big pig. Thing. Yeah, the one that drinks the water. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there were five guys in that. Mm-hmm. And so they had to really rehearse that. Um, the stuff with the Lugabees wasn't shot until the second week on a different location. Mm. So me and Tom had nothing to do for for the first week except help out on set. And I remember walking on the first day on set for prep. No crew were there. It was just the CFX team, which was like maybe 20 people. And I walked out and we were in the middle of the desert. And I looked at my buddy Tom because I'd never done a student film before. I'd never done a commercial. I'd never done a TV show. I'd just done theater. I'd only just done War Horse. And I looked at him and I was like, what we've peaked where do we go from here like what do we do this is this is it like where do we go from here because we were on the set of a star wars movie in the desert and it was nuts on day one on day anyone knows anything yeah 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 Yeah. and it was completely crazy and then yeah we just sort of spent the next two weeks and then in the second week when we when we did our bit it was torture man because that puppet that thing weighed about 25 stone yes and we were four hours into the desert in the sand dunes and they can only bring us out like um in these certain vehicles that could make the sand dunes because they couldn't just drive the whole crew mm. out there mm. um they wouldn't let us touch a thing for the whole day we had to just sit and relax for a whole day because they were like once we start filming we can't stop because we it was timed because usually you sort of have a bunch of hours but when you're playing with natural light and and jj wanted it with the sun setting so they literally had like 45 minutes each night to shoot this scene so it was so time, time sensitive that if we stop for 10 minutes, A, they lose the time, but B, they're now paying about 150 people a lot of money to just wait. Yeah. So we were completely ruined every day. Yeah. Every day physically we were yeah. wrecked. How did you stay alive inside <laughs> that thing? Was it really hot or was it because it's later on in the day, was it getting cool? No, nah, it was like 50 degrees Celsius. Ooh. Yeah, uh, we did. We, I, I, would, I would sing, we would sing songs to just... Forget about the physics. Like the old chain gang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was apple bottom cheese. I was like, apple bottom cheese. Boots with the fur. 
Tom's <laughs> like, what are you singing? I was like, just go with it, yeah. or else we're in, we're gonna cry. We're in deep trouble, yeah, yeah. And like the crew would run out between each take and try and take the weight, but because we're dealing with sand, they couldn't just run. We everybody had certain paths because they wanted to yeah. minimize the amount of yeah, post production yeah, yeah. that they had to 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 fix. I the love sand. they're thinking about somebody in a air conditioned like you know special effects studio. Yeah. They're like extra twenty minutes to kind of get rid of their footprints. Like, well, you suffered. Yeah, <laughs> just like just like nuts. Yeah, I know. it was yeah. So it was three days, and then that was um that was on the second week of filming. Or something in Abu Dhabi. And that was the... Uh, wouldn't have been um, Daisy Ridley's first day. She'd have done her first bits, wouldn't she, before then? So She wouldn't have been in the first week, yeah. Her yeah, first... Yeah, yeah the, they, they were all... Their first day were... Mm. that first week. And do you get a sense of her... You know, because this is her big first big film as well. She'd been in Toast previously. And, yeah, Toast yeah. of London. Yeah, so, yeah. But, like, you know, was was it kind of overwhelming for her? Could you, did you have any conversations with her about uh, it? No, I mean... From Those within the beast, like, yeah, yeah. Hey, <laughs> Daisy, yeah. it's Derek. Um, no, I'm beast. Yeah, I'm your beast. A lot of those guys, like, I mean, especially those first weeks, I mean, uh, I think there was a good vibe. Everybody was like on cloud nine. Mm. Um, and the other thing, too, is like, like Daisy Ridley has a lot on her shoulders. The last oh, thing she wants is some guy mm-hmm. who's in the back end of a puppet coming up to her going, Hey, Daisy, I'm Derek. <laughs> <laughs> She's got her things to worry about. I got my things to worry about. You know, it, it is, it's not like a hierarchy on set, but you sort of know your place. Mm-hmm. And you're just going, I'm going to do The rear end of an animal. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Lower than a piece. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think, but I think uh, to have a successful career in film, you got to remember that you're going, look, I'm going to come in and do my job. Yeah. You're going to come in and do your job. Because if yeah. you fanboy on set, it's like the worst mm-hmm. thing you could oh, yeah. ever yeah. do. Because then people yeah. just go, get them off. Yeah. Get them off set. Yeah. You know, you I just, suppose like, at that point there's nothing to fanboy over because obviously she was an absolute new prospect at that time and those <laughs> those characters though that fit hadn't taken off yet like this is brand no, new so yeah. it was just like you are starring in a Star Wars film but we yeah. don't know how this is going to go like yeah. oh, like you know how the yeah. fans are going to take your character everything like that so yeah, it's, it's like, going to be one billion two billion we just don't know like, <laughs> yeah. what it's going to be like, and the other thing too is like it's so out of context because mm. at the end of the day you it is Star Wars and it's amazing and it, it, it it's very uh, childlike to talk about it. But when you're there, it's a job. Mm. Like at the end of the day, you're doing a job and sometimes you're you're there like 13 hours a day. You know, when we were when we were filming one time, it was like 2.30 in the morning being picked up from the hotel, being dropped off at 8 p.m. You get four hours of sleep and you're back. Like by day five, you're like, I don't care who you are. Yeah. I just want to get and do my job. And I, the only time I've ever been starstruck is on Rogue One with Donnie Yen. Oh, okay. Because yes. I grew up being Donnie Yen at a karate club. Me and my <laughs> friends would pick out different people, Jackie Chan, Donnie Yen, Bruce Lee. And I used to be Donnie Yen when I was eight. And Donnie Yen was, and I, and for, for five months, I didn't say one word to him. <laughs> Mark Hamill, he'd come up and chat. I'd have a conversation with him and stuff like that. Donnie Yen, everyone's like, go say hi. I was like, no, I can't talk to him. <laughs> There's no way I can talk to him. And we've worked with a lot of, uh, out of different movies and the, the different movies we've done other than Star Wars. We've worked with a lot of people. It's the only time I've ever been starstruck. It's Donnie Yen. Other than that. Donnie Yen is it, man. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, he is fucking cool in Rogue One as well. Like, yeah. Yeah, he's awesome. You, uh, do you remember seeing Rogue, uh, Rogue One, uh, Force Awakens for the first time? Because obviously... The shot that reveals that beast is kind of—it is a reveal, isn't it? The camera yeah. pans up the sand dune and reveals yeah. it. So at that point, we like, oh, here I come, here I come. Ah, 
<laughs> yeah, you should. Yeah, so we always go to the cast and crew screenings, and they're usually on the day before or the day of the release before mm. it's released mm. worldwide. Mm. Um, and just in case someone last minute's like, it's all done now. Fuck my NDA. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One day exactly. out. Like, no. Exactly. And especially with The Force Awakens, there's a lot there. Yeah, Richard E. Grant didn't get that there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we were, we go to the cast and crew screenings and every time you watch it, you just go, oh, I wonder if I'm going to be in the movie. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. really, you're only paying attention to see if you're in it and then you have to go back and watch it in the cinema to watch the actual movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember watching it and me and my buddy, I was sitting beside Tom because we thought originally, we we're like, damn, we're spending seven months on this thing. This must be a great character in the movie. Yeah. And our boss was like, Neil, he was like, I'll be happy if we get nine seconds. I went, nine seconds? <laughs> he's like, nine seconds is good. Seven months of my life. <laughs> he's like, nine seconds is good in film. And I was like, nine seconds? And I remember on like day three when we were filming and like 50 degree weather and we were shot like we were so done our bodies were shaking because your the lactic acid just in your head up. is just nine yeah. seconds yeah. Nine seconds. <laughs> Neil came over and Neil doesn't he doesn't come over to a lot he usually stays by the monitor director he came over he stuck his head under the base he goes I want my nine seconds because <laughs> yeah. he can just see us flagging we were just yeah. like going I have to crawl up this dune hill one more time <laughs> so that was a, that was a crazy thing but you're also trying to catch the other aliens you've done mm. in the movie as well and piece it together uh, and then watch those, so any, any of the Imperial stuff we're never really in because there's never any creatures on the Imperial mm, bases mm, yeah, yeah. so that stuff's all brand new so you're going oh, oh uh, so you're trying to piece everything together more or less yeah. just trying well, to that, that Sandwalker creature became quite like a poster child for them selling the idea that this was going back to practical effects I remember yeah. like one of the early stills yeah. was that yeah, like, uh, but Ray kneeling down beside it. Well, it was J. James doing the um the Omaze like video from the set. It was the first time he saw any yeah, of the yeah. characters at all, and it felt like it was a labyrinth for a second because I had this thing with like yeah. I was standing the behind the camera watching J. J. do that uh, remote controlling the little snakes coming out of the cage. Yeah, on, yeah. Um, whatever that guy's. But it did feel like you know 1986 or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it was brilliant because it just felt like dark crystally. You know, mm. just like this is something I haven't seen since Jabba's Palace. I know it was a really cool rig because a, a, a guy that was in that was called Aiden Cook. Aiden's done everything. He's been in the business for like 30 years. And he was actually up inside the cages. So his face, they put a frog in one of the cages. So the frog was a mask. So he would wear the frog and look out of the frog in the cage. And then he had a, a hand control to do the, the actual character's face and all of that. So it was a really, like, really labyrinth old school trick. Mm. And they just did that a lot on that, that kind of stuff. But they had the money. Some of the other characters he played, let's do a little rundown of like... Um... Where we might be able to spot you in the movie. Yeah, so we did the uh, I did the Nightwalker worm. So there's this crazy one where it's such a throwaway, and it wasn't even in the script. It was on the day. It's a throwaway. BB 8s in the desert. He's rolling by, guy. and the the guy comes up. That's you. Yeah, yeah. It's my favorite. Like, <laughs> the name of the book. like literally, like last night we were watching it, and that bit when it happens, it like and literally just ran. It's so fucking bad. It's like yeah. something out of Adam and Joe or so. Yeah. Like literally, yeah. he just pops up like. Whoo! Like, yeah. uh, yeah. I, I love, adored the randomness of it, and because mm. it, that to me, when I saw that moment, I was like, 
wow, the, that is the moment where I go, they have captured the feel mm-hmm. of the 1977 original. Yeah. Where it felt like... Because it was like a swipe right after that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, but also in the sense of it feels like that time where they were making... That feels like something weird. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they yeah. cut to some like, random yeah. thing. Because Star Wars was, was, was essentially weird. practically an indie film at the well, end yeah. of the day when it was made. And oh, it yeah. feels like a weird subversive moment that was kind of thrown in like that. And I fucking love it, It man. was literally thrown in. So they had made this rig and it was on a seesaw rig so it was about a six foot pole and at this end would be the creature's head and on that end was just like a, almost like a dynamite lever you know you push down <laughs> so I was on the dynamite lever you push it down the head lifts up you could turn left and right it was made like over the lunch hour a guy <laughs> oh, I'm gonna get this wrong a guy named Ivan made it the eyes are like bicycle reflectors right <clears throat> and then they just sort of enhance it but so essentially I would just push the lever down and then turn his head left or right but it didn't almost happen. So, and it's my favorite story of all the Star Wars movies, <laughs> yeah. this character. So they showed JJ, they went, we have this, do you want to use it? And JJ went, all right, yeah, sure. But we've got like an hour of light left, so we'll film it if you want to. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> so they were filming uh, something over with Daisy and BBA, and we were over here and Neil goes, all right, let's do this. And we grabbed about six guys, and uh, so it's on about a six-foot plank. So they had this lever, the the lever machine, right? But it was encased in wood in the middle, right? Because they needed a frame to build it off of. But we had to put it in a hole. If you ever try and dig a hole in the desert, it's like impossible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like six guys trying to dig out a hole, and it just keeps coming back in. So just trying to build enough of a crevice in the sand, in the floor. They finally did. We pushed it in, and we put all of the sand back on it. And uh, uh, Neil goes, test it out, Derek. I was like, yeah, yeah, cool. So I pushed down. I was like, oh, it's a lot of sand. And I push, and I push, and I just feel something snap. And I was like, oh, no. Because yeah. <laughs> at this point, JJ's like, get about like half hour, guys. So <laughs> yeah. JJ's, what the fuck's this random yeah. thing you're doing? Like, if we want to film this, like, we got we to gotta sort of do this, guys. And, and Neil's like, yeah, yeah, don't worry, don't worry. He goes, Derek, and I was like, it's broken. <laughs> and Neil's like, what do you mean? I was like, uh, I got no up and down. I can't, I can't lift it out of the sand. I got nothing. So Neil, we dig the dirt off. He looks at it. The bars snapped because of the weight of the sand. So Neil, Neil's like, we're going to shoot this. We're going to shoot this, JJ. He goes, JJ goes, what do you, what do you mean we're going to shoot this? <laughs> And Neil goes, Neil's face down in the sand. This is the head of the creature shop. Face down in the sand with his arm on the pole. He goes, I'm going to wrench it up for you, Derek, so you get your left or right and follow BB-8 around. I was like, yeah, all right. He goes, build up the sand on that side so that you can hide me. So if you look <laughs> in the movie, there's a bit of a sand, there's a bit of a, cre- there's a, bit of a yeah. crest of sand. It's because Neil's on the opposite side being painted out a bit. But he's face <laughs> down in the sand. Lift it. I think we did maybe two takes of that, maybe. And usually with a lot with J.J., uh, when when he was filming seven and 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 nine, you do about twenty takes, mm-hmm. like, and that's just to get it in the bank to get everything secure. Mm-hmm. We did two, and these are IMAX cameras on this <laughs> shoot, was it not? Or, I believe so. I don't know for this shot. Yeah. I know they did specific IMAX cameras for. Yeah, I, but I I love how bloody scrambly that is. It was something. Yeah. This massive budget thing where they could just CG anything after the fact. The fact that they would go in, let's try and just pull this thing up and I remember Look. thinking yeah. if it makes it into the film I'll be my favourite moment because we yeah. did it twice it was a kickball scramble That's and we it. actually did it and it was like oh my god and when I watched the movie I was like it made it 
made it. It's actually in there. So did they I loved it from the moment, like literally in the cinema. Yeah. I remember it coming out and making me crack up. Yeah, like, it is uh, the moment yeah. when everyone goes, ah, yes. I, I relaxed the moment I had that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. I just felt I'm in safe hands. Does like, that shot exist without it then? Did they already shoot, say, BB-8 leaving the scene? And no. Go, Let's just do one of the things. No, because they were like, well, we need we need BB-8 sort of rolling by. Otherwise, what what's the point of this creature? Yeah. And so they just they just did it. So BB-8. Also, BB-8 was there so that to give yeah. context to that thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's the fact that it's in the middle of the night that's yeah. even, and it seems as if BB-8's like rolled over and almost like this well, weird looking creature's been sleeping underground. And then God, excuse me, like uh, yeah. in the middle of the night. Have you but, seen yeah. what it looks like though? Um, have you seen the 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 Star Wars cartoons? No. So they give a full example of what because that's just like its nose, and right. the thing is like. 60 feet oh. under the sand like google google that thing and you can see images of what it really looks like it's almost yeah. like an iceberg so that's just the tip of it and then the creature goes like massively oh, it's almost like that's a periscope going exactly like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, like yeah, the yeah. teaser to like get like oh, something like over there the dianoga kind of thing in yeah. the trash compactor this is its version of that yeah, which i never knew you know we, we never find out this stuff until after mm. you're like we just have this thing with bike lights on yeah and then it's <laughs> something else the yeah. about it later and i love that it came from that kind of like the the creature department just Building this creature and loving it, and just yeah. going, we've got to get it in. Yeah. And like JJ being like, I've got time for money, guys. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah just, uh, yeah, that's a real lovely little bit. And obviously, once he saw it, he clearly, you yeah. know, because he made it in. Yeah, so he do a lot of that won him stuff. over and charmed him as well. Yeah. So it's really. Can nice. you tell whether the shot in the film is the first or the second take? No, no. Did that, um, what else did I do? I did, I, the, the, the steel packing bird is a bit of a controversy. Oh, yeah. So they're still yeah, packing. Yeah, when she tries dry on the on the yeah. Um, I think it was bike. Spielberg that sort of said that that'd be a really cool idea. So if you had this bird that just eats metal, yeah. So they built this bird, and its beak was metal, and they could just hammer away on an engine. And originally, it was Dave and Brian who were um, the BB-8 puppeteers, and Brian's the one that brought me on. So Brian became the BB-8 puppeteer. He was puppeteer for BB-8. And the puppet coordinator for Force Awakens. That's why he brought me onto the movie. Um, best friend I ever made in my life. <laughs> and uh, him and Dave were originally shooting that on second unit. So main unit are shooting Daisy and John stuff. And there's another unit about a mile and a half in the desert. Just doing those kind of shots that, the, that you know, JJ just doesn't have time to do. To yes. Going, well, you know, I have, I have other things to do. You guys do that. And I get a call on the radio and they're like, Derek, where are you? I said, I'm on main unit. They said, um, we need you on second. I said, okay. Promotion. I was like, what do you want me on second unit for? I have to go a mile and a half in the desert. Uh, and it was to shoot the metal pecking bird. Because at this point, Dave and Brian had been shooting it. But they were being called the main unit to do BB-8. So they needed people there. So we were, I was sat there for about an hour with the second unit guys just listening to music in the desert. Because they're going, we need two puppeteers. And there was just me. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Neil Scanlon came over and he goes, get in, get in. And it was inside, we were inside this jet engine, this hollowed out jet engine that the bird was sat on top. And me and Neil spent about an hour just pecking the crap out of this engine. So I don't know if it's Brian or Dave or it's me and Neil. I like to think it's me and Neil. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so we did that. Uh, There's another character called Vogra Dan. And he's this sort of um, hairy ground crew uh, logistics guy. Um, He's the head of the grounds crew for the Rebel base. I think I said this one. Yeah, so he he was in episode eight as well. Um, So I was in that. And then... Did you get to reprise the role? In episode eight? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, So they brought him back for episode eight. 
who knows if we see him for episode nine? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> couldn't say. Um, and uh, and then there was some stuff in Mask's Castle. Um, I'm trying to think, because this was all back in 2013. And they all blend into one when you've done five. It's all cool, man. It's all That's cool. okay. That's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah. Like, uh, certainly enough action figures to like keep you going. But yeah. So, yeah, a couple of Legos. Like, let's talk about like your relationship with Star Trek, because of Blue. Yeah. You're a big fan. Like, you see, you've got your Star Trek pin today. Yeah, no. Specifically from a a show, Very Close to Your Heart. Yeah, Voyager. This is a replica. Bought it years ago. I was like, I was bored one day. My wife was at work. And I just was like, I'm going to spend some money. (laughs) So This is why your wife doesn't leave you alone anymore. (laughs) She does it because I bought this. And I bought... I spent a lot of money on an action figure. um, Because... I love the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, last two. Yeah, yeah. And they did a line of uh, cross of Star Trek and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So each turtle is a different one. Like, I think, uh, um, so I, I'm Donatello's my favorite turtle, yeah. and he's Spock. I have the action that figure. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Action figure uh, in, ca- in its case, 1994 or 95. Donatello as Spock. Wow. It's the wow. best action figure I've ever bought in my life. And yeah. I think Michelangelo is Scotty. Raphael, um, Leonardo is, I want to say Kirk, and I think Raphael is... Bones? Bones, maybe? Yeah, Yeah, but they did a line of that stuff. So I spent a crap ton of money on that Donatello toy, (laughs) and I bought a a replica Voyager badge as well. (laughs) When you say TMNT fan, uh, just the costume of the original comic books as well, or...? Um, No, I've really dabbled in the comic books. I was telling Paul last week, though, I did get a comic of a crossover... I'm not lying, of uh, Star Trek and Planet of the Apes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the thing. That's the yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. I was like, but Planet of the Apes, I then realized, did a lot of crossovers. Well, Star Trek's done a lot of crossovers. We yeah. did an episode on the Star Trek comic books. Right. And one of the uh, things we covered was one of the latest crossovers, which is Star Trek animated series with Transformers. Yeah. Really? Uh, uh, because yeah. it was the animated series... Yeah, it was very clever idea of using specifically the animated series version to yeah, cross the That's over. crazy. Um, but there's loads of mental Star Trek cross it. X Men. Oh my goodness. Um, Doctor Who. How'd they get uh, away with that? Loads that's crazy. Of, it's just, yeah, it's just a different company owned the licenses and yeah. they get together, kind of, they do a combat version, but there's loads of mentors. But yeah, the original. Timmy Ninja Turtles combats like the Kevin Eastman, Peter yeah. Laird, independent ones for the early A's, black and white are yeah. incredible. I watched it. Yeah. Have you seen the documentary on that? Uh, Total Power. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's really interesting. Really, 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 really good. good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, have you yeah. seen the toys that made us? Uh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although it's the new season that they've just done, Timmy and Ninja Turtles. I haven't seen yeah. that yet. Yeah, yeah, I haven't yeah, seen yeah. the new no, episode yet. No. Really, really good. It's really I'll interesting. Check it out. Yeah. But yeah. No, yeah. So I got, I got, I mean, my dad was a big, uh, Next generation fan, so okay. we, it would always, it was always on at the house. So I would watch it, and I was like, "Yeah, it's cool." And then I was like, "You know, <laughs> I, you know." But LaForge, I, I love Jordy. I was like, "I love Jordy. He's really cool." And then when Voyager, I might, and then my dad would watch Deep Space Nine. And when I was a kid, I was like, "This is too heavy. What is going on?" <laughs> I, I was like, "Oh no, I don't like it." And then I got into Voyager religiously. I would watch it over and over and over again. And then I left Star Trek for a bit. And then recently, like, because uh, I never watched um, Enterprise. Enterprise. Yeah. I just thought, mm, it doesn't really, you know, and it didn't survive, unfortunately. And then when Discovery was announced, I was really hesitant. 
I was like, oh, this isn't mm-hmm. really following episodic format. This is like mm. a movie with a, a, an arc. And I was like, and I still have a little bit of an issue with that. Like the way I, I think it's an amazing how they've revamped the franchise and have brought it forward with the times. And they're really thinking like, you know, how do we mm. do this? But there is something about the episodic format that really, that I just love. And I've gone back now and I've started, I rewatched all of Voyager again and I started on Deep Space Nine and I now love Deep Space Nine as much as I love Voyager because I can now see like that first episode with Cisco and and Picard and you're just like going, oh my goodness, this is amazing. This is the best episode. Like, I just think that now, like I can really see like as a kid because it was so political and it streams like so much Mm. policies. I mean, it still echoes today weirdly enough but mm. but they also are great episodic episodes still because that's the thing there's a massive arc in that yeah. it's not whereas Discovery it's like you can't kind of just pick one on that, its own that, that, it still has yeah. a message in each episode yet it's still drawing a bigger tapestry of like yeah. this war and that kind of thing isn't it so well I suppose the, the difficulty is is that's simply not TV now in terms of yeah. like yeah, we live in the binge uh, box set right. generation yeah. um, and you know I think unfortunately that episodic format to that to the degree it is in something like and TNG or so it wouldn't survive. And no, Picard, yeah, like, and Picard is going to be the same again. Yeah, of course. Easily. Yeah, 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 Easily. Yeah, it would be like, I think they've already described it as kind of like they're going for the even further, like the novelistic mm. style of like TV. I think that that will be even further, uh, mm. more serialised TV <clears> than Discovery. Yeah. And it's such a shame because like when you watch the episodic stuff, like, you know, you learn about Tom Paris, you learn about his father and his history. Um, you learn about like, you know, him falling in love and all that. But with with Discovery, I, I really like it. I think it's really well. I think it's the it's shot. I think the cinematography is fantastic. Mm. I love the costumes. I love the sets. I think it's great. I think the overall arc is amazing. I think it's really well thought out and and thought through. But it's like you know a lot about Burnham, mm. uh, and a lot of the crew on the deck. You sort of a, maybe get tidbits of, but you don't get yeah. an episode of. You sort of yeah. You get a throwaway line or a couple lines there and you go, oh, I sort of know their name, but I don't really know anything of them. Like you learn every- Kim in Voyager, arguably one of the worst characters, <laughs> but you still sort of love the guy because he's just there the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Never gets a promotion. Be, yeah, don't yeah. worry. <laughs> well, the thing is, if you get too much of a story in Discovery, it means you're going to get died in the next episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, I'm really waiting for, oh, forget his name in real life. I keep calling him Dwight because he played on The Office. Oh, Rain Wilson. Yeah. Um, he plays, yeah, Harry Mudd. Yeah, so th- when that sort of, when that little arc was introduced, I was like, oh, that's really interesting because he's yeah. gone now and it sort of made me feel like it was a bit episodic. Like, yes. here's a character. Well, it's almost like Q. We'll bring him back when we want to. Mm. I think they can play it, but I think they're so far into Spock and Burnham and all of that now. I think it's really hard to bring a lot of that stuff back. Well, it's weird. You, you're right. He's episode I mean obviously he's been in it a couple of times but yeah. his biggest episode was the one that felt most like an old school check yeah. where it's kind yes. of Groundhog Day yeah. with him and he's kind of like you know winning again and again they have to fight. and that felt really contained like yeah. one off story and you got uh, to learn about Burnham and uh, Ash Tyler a lot in that episode as well yeah. it's a good character yeah, yeah. and driven piece it's like, a romance yeah. kind of yeah. driving that everything and uh, yeah it was, a, it was a really good episode definitely yeah. Like, so yeah I think there is still a place for doing it um, it's it's finding that balance, and I I think that is the the best way. My favorite kind of shows are the ones which kind of bridge that gap 
a yeah. bit like in terms of like even if like my favorite TV show ever is The Sopranos, and mm. even though that is very much an arc yeah. thing, still if you go back to it, uh, I can go well. This is a this is this episode. Yeah. This is this episode. Mm. Like there's Pine Barrens where they get lost in the woods and everything like that. Yeah. You know? It's like, whereas now, something like, for example, something like Stranger Things, mm-hmm. or something like that, I mean, that's actually designed as chapters, yeah. like each thing, and it is literally, you could never go, oh, this is that episode of Stranger Things. It's yeah. like, no, it's that season yeah. of Stranger yeah. Things. Like, you still uh, wouldn't like, tell yeah. someone, oh, don't start Sopranos at episode one, just watch whatever you want. No, but I definitely could turn around someone and say, watch Pine Barrens mm. in isolation, yeah, yeah. and you'll enjoy it as a piece of drama, like comedic drama, 100%. Mm. Like, whereas you would never just pick out an episode of, like, Stranger Things and go watch that in isolation. I feel with Discovery as well. It's like, they, you know, it doesn't feel like a step down from the, from the motion pictures. Like, you've got, like, Beyond yes, hit cinemas, yeah. and then, like, within a few months, you've got Discovery, and it does look the same. It's it's all yeah, it very cinematic, huge. but so, yeah. you know, they could do with a little less sizzle and perhaps a bit more story mm-hmm. in season three. I mean, just go a bit around with <clears> the basics. I think they are, they reset the deck really because you're you know mm. from what we understand they're in the future or whatever mm. it's a chance to kind of like forget what we know yeah. about sort of yeah like they could have Sonic Adventures to yeah. exploring the future now. exactly aren't they yeah. doing that with the shorts I don't know I uh, the shorts are kind of the shorts kind of pop all over the place right, yeah. in terms of like there there was a short in the first season of the short track series called Calypso which at the moment seems completely unconnected to anything right. and set in the far far future oh, nice. um, which was fantastic it was really good it was actually written by Michael Chabon who's the showrunner on yeah. Ricard so it gave me good hope for Ricard because it's really great standalone but at the moment at least it's like it seems it's a bit an outlier but we, it may make sense later yeah exactly yeah. exactly but Yes, we should talk about Star Wars The Force Awakens. Who are you? I'm no one. Shall we do about like first 
impressions then? Because I've really <clears> well, I think there's no realistic who hasn't seen The Force Awakens. Is yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we, we don't need to kind of. I don't think we need to say the story no. or anything like that. You know, Star Wars Episode Seven, mm. Force Awakens, the first of this new trilogy, the Star Trek connection. Although there are quite a few yeah. throughout, but the big Star Trek connection that we're lynching on is it directed by JJ Abrams, yeah. uh, who directed uh, Star Trek 2009 and Star Trek Into Darkness. So he directed two Star Trek films. Oh, Star Trek 09, like the fact that he did that when they announced the director of Star Wars 7, you know, with it was pretty much a package deal because it wasn't that long after they said Disney's bought this. Mm. They said, I'm going to go into production and JJ Abrams is going to do the next movie. Mm. I was like, okay. I'll it made back. perfect sense. I was like, there's not, no controversy there. This, yeah. is, this is the the heir apparent. Like, yeah. 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 It, especially as there was a big thing when Star Trek was being made, uh, the big thing that the trackies always picked up was that JJ would often say he was a bigger Star Wars fan. Yeah. He was a Star Trek fan. And he was trying to bring a bit of the Star Wars fun to the yeah. Star Trek universe. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I think you know, he totally did that well, very successfully. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, blew up some more planets. He loves doing that. Yeah, well, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, he's often looked at kind of like the closest to Fingerbox to Spielberg. I mean, he's not quite sort of gone into do that kind of you know different genre hopping that Spielberg does, where he tries to do a bit of everything. But in terms of genre, kind of like Amblin, early Amblin filmmaking, he has kind of stuck around there. Mm-hmm. You yes. know, you have your super eights and that kind of thing. Now, like the way he kind of. Abram sort of starts and ends scenes is so much like how Spielberg would kind of do things back in the Raiders era you know and I think that's what this has got like it feels like the Jedi we might have got if Spielberg was able to direct it but mm. couldn't yeah. because of the Directors Guild of America um, you know where like they couldn't hire anybody who was a, a, a Guild member oh, right. to direct it what is what Spielberg was going to return well, he Jedi? Was, yeah he wanted dead. Yeah, they would he would have done it if like, but Lucas pissed off the Rex Guild of America because he refused to put the credits at the front of the movie. Right. And so he quit in process, which means he could only hire, like, non thing. That's why he had the... Oh, is that why the dad of the bloke who directed Dead Man's Car yes. started? Yes, because he's British. It's non-union British representative. <laughs> it was a big thing, yeah, when he didn't do that for Star Wars. They were like, no, you need to do that. And Lucas yeah. was like, no, I don't. No. And so he stuck to his guns and, uh, you know, he hired his teacher from school for, to do Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, Irving Kirsch. Yeah, <laughs> Professor Kirsch. <laughs> yeah, and he did a fine job. Yeah, well, yeah, the finest. Yeah, but yeah, it's just, I think this is the first time I've had like somebody who has like real well since like I suppose Kirshner, but like they they kind of those are very kind of old set up shots. There's a lot of setups in, but mm. this is somebody with a bit more dynamics and uh, behind the cameras. Yeah, yeah, although I would say that yes. There is, but he's very much using classical filmmaking storytelling of those original films with this. I mean, it is it's just a class act, isn't it? Yeah. Start to finish. And uh, another uh, Star Trek connection, the director of photography is Dan Mindell, um, who was also the director of photography on Star Trek 2009 yeah. and In Darkness. And I, I think he does a fucking bang up yeah. job here. Yeah, yeah, I would say this is the, there's a shot when when BB-8 wakes up R2 or bumps into him and, and he goes, I'm very sorry, he's been low power mode. And, uh, but that shot looks like it was 77. Like, it just... It kind of loads the ground. The loads the ground, but like the way yeah, that, because yeah. it, it's like Yavin-based kind of thing, it just feels like this was an outtake, but just so about the film stops BB-8 used, in yeah. and the, you know, the lenses just feels like this could be... I, I might be making this up, but I'm pretty sure they went back and rebuilt the lenses they shot the original movies on because they don't oh, make really? it anymore, so they yeah. went back and rebuilt them to wow. make them so that it yeah. looked like A New Hope and stuff like that. 
Yeah, I might be completely making that up. I mean, it, it's, <coughs> it certainly did. They managed. I, I assumed it was just through um, photography techniques, so they certainly managed to evoke that feel for me. Mm-hmm. I think very much so. I mean, I'll say straight away, this film is like eight-year-old me mainlining joy straight into my veins, basically. <laughs> like, you know, he's like immediately recapture and I I will say that you know obviously they've made many more Disney uh, Star Trek not Star Trek uh, Disney Star Wars films okay we can talk about Star Wars now (laughs) the gloves are off (laughs) since since then and I have enjoyed them all uh, to some extent or another Um, I think Rogue One's probably my favourite since since then um and Lost Jedi is very good. Uh, Solo and more lukewarm on, but like you know, still still decent. I, I've enjoyed them all, um, but this is the only one that's given me that feeling. Mm. Like I feel like JJ did something special with this, where he managed to completely, and I I literally cannot quite work out how he did it really, mm. because it's such a grand feat to not only capture that feel visually and in the sound and everything like that and the music, um, but also to bring in three, three plus, but no, well, four central brand new characters yeah. that feel almost instantly part yeah. of that myth. This is the thing, this is what I had, like JJ's so good at casting and introducing characters. Like most of my notes from this viewing has just been like, everyone has an amazing introduction and, and the pace at which they come along. Yeah. Mm. So he, he, he's so good at like hitting you with who these people are and their relationships to each other. So we were saying by the end, like the Finn and Ray friendship seems so secure, not even one film in, like mm. one complete film in. Some, some franchises take ages to kind of build that bond, but he kind of knows exactly how to like pace stuff off the the opening act of this entire film is such like a roller coaster, like you say, and it is bridging perfectly what you know and remember and want from the old. But people, but you can't. But it's not just coasting on that because all the new stuff is so integral and works so well in of itself. It's a it's it's an insane balancing act between mm. new stuff that's hitting the ground running and works everywhere, and old stuff enough of what you want but maybe not what you expect and I think the idea of holding Luke back was such a key idea yeah well I think you know yeah. there's, there's deleted scenes which show they would have introduced Leia after like five scenes in so she sends an envoy to like the um, the, the new Coruscant but like it's not Coruscant the one that gets blown up later on to say you know old oh, things are looking bad we need to get support and that would have come pretty much after like Poe's the X-Men gets destroyed and stuff like that it's like and they decided to cut it out because like I think what I've got here, I don't need to yeah. start throwing in yeah. the old people just yeah. yet. Mm. Like you slowly it holds off in its own. And you know, when Han Slow turns up, you're like, oh forgot almost like he's, yeah. Yeah, he's gonna be here. I actually looked at the timer and the first old school character to appear is of course Han Solo and Chewie. And that is at 40 minutes in. That's like, amazing. When they actually appear. And you don't even realise. Yeah. Like you it, the amazing thing is you don't miss them. And then as like doubling down on that, the fact that Luke obviously doesn't appear until the very final scene, yeah. which seems, I mean, it's one of those things where I can't even quite imagine like JJ pitching that in the room and going, mm. so yeah, so Luke, the, the star yeah. of Souls is not going to appear until like fast scene. And oh, he's not going to speak either. Yeah. Or anything like, and it's just the balls on him yeah. to do that <laughs> yeah. I mean he's just it's, but it pulls off because yeah. by the end you have actually forgotten that he should even be there like by the final scene you know by the final lightsaber battle I wasn't going like oh where's Luke 
I was just kind of completely forgotten about him. Yeah. And then it was like, oh wait a minute, yeah. Still but got yeah the still film, excited. the film's about him. That this search yes. for Luke. Yeah, but yeah. You can have a film be about a character without it being about a character. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think that's the genius. And you know, there's an arc. He knew there where they were going with it. And mm. He was just going, well, you know. The Last Jedi is going to be your movie because it is completely Luke's movie. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, we're going to give this one to Han. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, Han, yeah. Han, Force Awakens is Han's movie. Last Jedi is is Luke's movie. You know, there was a trajectory, I think, there. I mean, knowing that full well. So when you pitch yeah. that idea to Hamill, I mean, he's... But he's just happy to be there. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 yeah. He wasn't doing anything. Like, yeah. And yeah. to think, of course, remember, the marketing had, you know, the trailers were so brilliant, of course. But yeah. that moment with Han appearing in the trailer is what got yeah. so many people crazy. And then, yeah, mm. you kind of forget that. Yeah, and even like, that like, for me, the end of the second trailer uh, when Han uh, turns up. For me, like, it's not like Han, it's not Luke, it was the Millennium Falcon. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, uh, well, yeah. yeah see, just course, the, that course. shot where it kind of is upside down, goes under over the desert, and oh. just like that was the. And the reveal of it is so bloody clever as well yeah. like it's a junk off screen like that. yeah 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 that was it that was but it again, pulls back round yeah, I mean, yeah. like it's funny you're so in the film when you when I remember watching the first time that you kind of had seen these moments in the trailers but you almost forgot they're coming up because you're yeah. enjoying what you're the, the ride of this whole yeah. thing so much so you I was getting the getting the jokes with, with Falcon revealed and the you know um, uh, it's Han Solo's son is Kylo Ren um, you know these things were like oh you could feel yeah. the audience kind of the breath struck out of them and um, I yeah, think, it's, it's, I think it's so hard to cast good people, but to cast the chemistry, it's got to yeah. be impossible. But but he's hired he as well. It. He hired like we haven't even got to him yet. But um, Adam Driver is yeah. one of the greatest like young actors working today. And yeah. you saw that ahead of time, and it's like for me, he's my favorite thing about the new film. Yeah, because he's just he's both like tragic, he's funny, he's like um, threatening. When he's in the mask, like you know, he's brilliant. Like voice, mm. so good. That yeah. helmet voice. The helmet mm. voice is brilliant, and you know, you, you kind of think when oh, you sure. see the pictures of him, like in pre-publicity material, and kind of go, "Oh, they're just doing sort of Vader," and it's a little bit kind of how they're going to top that, but they do. And it, he makes it his own. That outfit, yeah. Where that kind of like yeah. title on the arms and the, the bunched up hood and stuff. Well, I think what's so clever about that is that yeah, for that first like half an hour, forty minutes or so, he's got the helmet on. And you're just seeing him be badass and stuff like that. And also there's that very clever moment where he realises instantly that it's Finn who's yeah. betrayed them because he spotted him on the mm-hmm. Empire. I mean, that opening sequence is so economic in its storytelling. Mm-hmm. You get tons of info, character introductions, get introduced to Poe, Finn, Kylo, BBA, First Order, like all those well. yeah, all those kind of elements straight away. And he noticed mm. the Finn, the Stormtrooper, kind of being troubled, kind of thing, and thought, oh, remember that. And then later on, when they say, oh, one of the Stormtroopers betrayed he's like, yeah, it was that one. <laughs> and he knows it straight away. And you're like, oh, God, this guy's so ice cool. But- isn't Finn's, um, isn't his Stormtrooper number the, the number, the cell number, Leia's cell number? Oh, really? Oh, I don't know. I think there's some like well, Easter things like that. 2187, isn't it? So yeah. I, I can't remember now. I think... But cell block 1138, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 1138. Yeah, yeah. 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 But uh, I think there's there's a lot of like little Easter stuff, eggs. like yeah, massive yeah, yeah. Easter eggs, like um, especially when they get mm-hmm. later on in the movies, like when we're doing stuff like Solo, I mean, they were just riddling the set with like Easter eggs mm. and stuff like that, like from past movies and, you know... Because they just they just can yeah well, well yeah they, I suppose, they have them a bit don't they yeah. so they just like you know just bring it out the storage yeah 
Um, oh, there it was just saying beforehand, like um, when you were in San Francisco just before you had the baby, and um, like you just rang up Lucasfilm and got a, a tour. Yeah, um, sent them an email. Yeah, I went to email. San Francisco yeah. last year. Last year? Yeah, and we just sent them an email saying, like, I'm coming. Yeah. Can, <laughs> can yeah. I? Tell them I'm fucking doing. coming. Tell them I'll be there. Uh, <laughs> my name is Derek Arnold. Uh, I <laughs> promise you I've worked on the films. Yeah. Um, like, we passed these letters on to yeah. police. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> it was really good. I contacted, um, her name's Dee. Uh, she's part of the Star Wars show. You know those little 15-minute YouTube Star Wars shows? Yes, yeah. Mm. yeah. So she's one of the hosts on it, and we, we sort of communicate through Twitter every now and then, just sort of shoot messages I shot her message saying look I'm coming is there any way yeah. uh, I can get a tour and they gave us me and my wife like a four hour mm. uh, private tour of Lucasfilm it was nuts yeah. oh the Ark of the Covenant was, uh, was it all case? of it like who yeah. framed Roger Rabbit like every everything you can think of the the plates for E.T. everything it was nuts like and they just saw in the hallways it's like this is crazy yeah, enough rooms for it I could build another wing to get yeah. it to the next, next they new trilogy it's yeah like, oh it's, it's like, iconic I all of it. the Jurassic Park stuff it's cool. like one of my favourite movies of all time yeah that would have been a real homecoming for you then seeing that like the, the seeing action. that well, else, and then I was lucky enough to work on uh, Fallen Kingdom oh really oh, yeah really? Yeah. Okay. yeah we did the puppetry for the raptors and the t-rex and the indoraptor that's great. There was puppets used. That was a real step yeah. up. They had to say, like, stop stop hugging the raptor here. <laughs> You're getting oil onto its skin. Yeah. Because it was just fumbling. And I was like, I can't. It's a, it's a raptor. Yeah. It's like, it's Jurassic Park. So being able to work on that film and, mm. and puppeteer that kind of stuff, especially the T-Rex in the truck mm. uh, for Fallen Kingdom, what they did was they took the original T-Rex because that's technically, that that's not technically, that is the T-Rex from the original film. Uh, and they took the scream, you know, the iconic uh, T-Rex oh, yeah. scream. And the sound guys, whenever it, whenever it roared, they played the the T-Rex roar around the whole studio. Yeah. So, like, it reverberated everything. And I was just under set uh, with, like, six guys. And I was like, this is amazing! <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. So, yeah, seeing, immersive. That yeah. Is, yeah. seeing all that stuff at Lucasfilm and, like, having ties to it. Mm. And we, we, we were shooting Jurassic World 3 the same time as Solo. So I would go to Pinewood and Neil Scanlon was doing Jurassic World as well. And it was nuts. I'd never thought if I could go back and tell my 10 year old self, I'd be like, you're going to be shooting Star Wars and Jurassic World at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that I'd show up at Pinewood one day. They'd be like, okay, we need you on our stage in the morning. Then you have to jump over to M to go to Jurassic World. So we were running (laughs) between me and Tom running between Jurassic World and Solo flipping yeah. constantly so if they were nice. shooting Voyager just down the hall do you think there would have been any room in your shooting? I would have been no I would have made room I would have made room I've been yeah. desperately trying to get on Discovery I've been yeah, shooting yeah. emails to everybody I know because yeah, yeah. it's shot back in Toronto mm. just to try and get right. into the room or knocking on the door because that's that. that would just be kind of calling it's like I know I would be that would be it and I know one of the guys <laughs> on the bridge he was in the year below me in college and I was like oh my god I would be the dream to be on to be on a Star Trek stuff mm. but yeah well, it's, it's it's every chance of that happening. Mm. Yeah, Garrett, there's making enough of it. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. churning out so much track now. I know. Like, it's yeah. This yeah. is this it's is just traditionally time. it's just never never been shot in England, like has it? Like no. In, no. So it's kind of it just needs to kind of break. Well, we need to get some tax incentives for. Well, trip. even the films not they're shot. All shot in America. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. now most big. Or they are yeah. shot over it, aren't they? Yeah, because yeah, they're tax incentives. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it's like, come on, check. 
In that post-Scartian society, they've got no time for tax incentives. But so it is. so let's let's go on to um, first impressions. Then, Derek, you you had you kind of knew less about this one going in, although you had been spoiled on the movie. On that spoiled, yeah. But, uh, well, you but completely spoiled. Yeah. So I stayed away from as much as I could. Right. So you find out little tidbits, obviously. You find out, but I stayed away from everything. I was like, I don't want to know anything, nothing. And I think it was like three weeks till we finished filming. And I was talking to one of the BB-8 puppeteers, Dave, and he was like, oh, man, you know, we just we just shot um, Han being killed yesterday. And I was like, <laughs> and he looked at me and he's like, you didn't know that. And I was like, no, I didn't know that. And he goes, yeah. how did you not know that? Everyone knows. That. I was like, I didn't know that. And I was like, Han dies? And they're like, he's like, oh, yeah, he's dead. And I was like. All right, well, might as well just tell me what happens now because yeah. you've ruined it. And that was like the pinnacle. So every time since then, when we got onto Rogue, uh, Last Jedi, first day, tell me everything. Yeah. <laughs> just get it just out of the way. Everything, I don't care anymore. Just yeah. tell me everything. But yeah, so I, I stayed away from as much as I could for um, for Force Awakens. And I ended up going back and watching it like five times in the cinema. Mm. I just loved it. I thought yeah. it was amazing. So I did the screening and then watched it like five more times. Uh, obviously, it's six times yeah, now. Yeah. yeah, it's the most I've watched. So I've seen Rogue One, uh, and it's arguably one of my favorites as well. Mm. Um, I played um, one of the Creek Rebel creatures in it. In his name was Pow. He's this gray sort of lizard with this big, wide mouth that just sort of like jaw drops on here, and he just yells. He was part of the Rebels, and that was like five months of just filming that guy. And he was like one of the, my favorite characters to film. So, uh, but I've only seen Rogue One maybe twice. I've seen The Last Jedi twice. I think Solo once. Yeah, I've only seen Solo once, Last Jedi once, uh, Rogue One twice. And yeah, I, I do think Rogue One is really strong and really bold yeah. piece of filmmaking for a franchise picture in terms of the the bravery they had to build up like all these characters really well as well in that yeah. film and then kill everyone. Yeah, and not to um, rely on any name, yeah. not to rely on yeah. Luke or yeah, yeah, yeah. any of them coming back. Like that was a just just purely based off of the name of the franchise. Yeah, hundred percent. It was kind of like yeah, it felt very free for that as well. Like, yes. you know, you felt danger in like this film because you didn't have you just knew that everybody was kind of expendable. When they say like, oh this is a one way mission almost when they're about to take off. You're like, oh, that is for a lot of you. <laughs> but even then, you, you still thought, e yeah. even though I was yeah. like, oh, okay, they're all, they're not known characters. Even then, I was thought, this is, you know, you think this is a Disney movie. They're not going to kill all of the good guys like in this. Yeah. And the fact that they did do it, full Magnificent Seven style yeah. and just kill cool. everyone, you were just like, wow, this is yeah. really impressive. Yeah, it was also because it was set in that 1977 era as well. I mean, just literally behind it, like mm. it was so much fun in seeing kind of like that era of Vader and, uh, yes. you know, the, the Imperials and seeing kind of like just a bit of, <clears throat> of a film off to the side of the film mm. you love in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it was great just to not see what well, a prequel where you knew all the answers as well because that's yes. the thing is I have a big kind of problem with prequels yeah, where yeah, yeah, some of the yeah. big gnomes are there but this was enough because this is a, yeah, it was this is a prequel but its story isn't really tying into the film that follows it it's, it, it, it kicks in motion but it's not like part one of a part two thing no so, it felt like kind of perfect the fact that it dovetailed so perfectly into a new yeah. home I think is kind of the magic of it and the fact that you know it does offer something new in the sense of 
getting Darth Vader to actually be as badass as we always hoped he would be. Yeah, and the icing on the cake. Yeah, 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 never. And I think it's a reshoot as well. Yeah, an additional second. It was like um came back and did that at the end, is that Yeah, but, I mean, that's, like... Um, there was a big thing on the internet with it going, oh, reshoots, reshoots, but every film that I've mm. ever ever yeah. done, you reshoot on. You have to. Because mm. if you open a show in the West End and a play, you get to do three weeks of previews before any of the press see it, before they can mm. write a review, and you're gauging what the audience says. So in those three weeks, the show changes drastically because they're going oh, the audience aren't liking, they're not reacting to that, so we have to change this mm. and fix this. Whereas a movie, you have, once you print that, that's for life. Mm, yeah. Unless you have a director's cut. But, you know, it's never the same. So yeah. whenever you put together a film, then you go back and go, that's not working, or we actually don't like that, or, we, you know, we've tested it, and that's not feeling, so let's mm. just reshoot. Let's do reshoots. Yeah. Well, that's every single yeah. major big budget every, Hollywood yeah. temple now. Is they have been, the reshoot yeah. booked in yeah. at the start. Oh, yeah. they go, they're happening no yeah. matter what. Yeah. Because that's the whole, that's the kind that's of test in point. terms yeah. of they go round that circle yeah. of going like, yeah. did it work? Show accessory. Okay, this and this. Let's do yeah. more. Going yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, and so there was a big like, it's, it is funny and interesting because you read stuff on the internet. And I, you know, I do read the stuff on the internet. I, I think it's mm -hmm. hilarious. And some of the stuff that, you know, and some of the speculations for nine and stuff like that. Because, I mean, that's the other thing I've known for the last year. Well, for all intents and reasons or purposes, how I think it ends. Well, what mm. was shot, mm. it yeah. might be completely different by time. Like you said, it's only do things three different ways. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You shoot it different ways, and then they might have done reshoots in LA or something like that. So you never know. Because we were filming them so back to back, like you'd only get like four months off, and then you'd be right back shooting mm -hmm. them. You sort of forget which ones are which. You know, but you sort yeah. of forget, and you go, oh, yeah, I remember when we did that, that, and that. And they're like, no, that's the new movie. And you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, we're not allowed to say that out loud. <laughs> Whoopsie. Yeah. So you sort of like really you sort of had to catch yourself a lot of the times because because you, you don't want it to you don't want to ruin anything everyone you know all of these websites mm. that try and find out the information you say like, why are you doing that you know in 1980 something if somebody released on the internet back then that vader was luke's father everybody would have been pissed like you you know they want it they say they want to know what the spoilers are but you don't want to know because that's the one of the best moments of watching a movie oh. you're like no, that was the best thing about Sports Awakens. It's like not knowing. Not like, knowing, yeah. yeah. Finally, we're going into uncharted territory beyond the the, the three films that, that yeah. originally were there. And just to feel like it was would have been in the theatre, because I watched them all backwards as a child. Three, yeah. uh, you know, uh, six, five, and four. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it's the first time I got experience like Star Wars filming in uncharted territory, completely where it's, I have no idea where this is going. Yeah. And to be in the cinema where, you know, it's, and it, it reveals it's Hans' his father. Like, you know, and this is like his wayward son. It's like, that was a great revelation. Mm. Yeah, because I think you assume that if it's if he's gonna be connected, yeah, he's gonna it'll be, be it'll be Luke's. Son. Yeah, yeah, because that would that makes the most sense. Going yeah. like to you, but of course the thing we always forget that Leia has the Force as well. Going yeah. over that, and you know, and also you don't have to have Jedi parents in order mm. to like you know. Yeah. Uh, so it is really, and it's kind of it's thrown out as well in that scene. It's kind of not really done as a massive moment. It's just kind of like, oh, your father, yeah. like Han Solo. Well, like, oh, but the other genius thing about this film is that it doesn't need to tell you everything that's going on around the world. Like yet the universe, it finally realizes the problem of prequels was it's like they have to show you everything. 
need to know what's going on in the politics mm. and all this mm. stuff. It's like, actually, no, we just need to know about this group of Tyson's people. So just a small, yeah. Pe- yeah, small group of people in a huge universe yes. and keep the story intimate. Like, we don't need to know where Snow comes from no. or, like, what happened with the marriage, you know, with, like, Han and Leia. Like, you know, there's things that you, it's better to speculate on because what you mm. can go up your head is more interesting. You, you, than well, you infer it through what's happening in the scene that's happening in front of you. Yeah. Mm. You're like, from the way they're acting, I can now infer X, Y, Z. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, with, with Han and Leia, I always <clears throat> kind of took it as sort of an analogy for when a you have a child die before their parents yeah. in terms of and that often splits yeah. the parents yeah, apart massively. because that's what it would be like it'd be yeah. like yeah. he's dead because yeah, he's, the, the son that they knew is yeah. gone yeah. well they so say we like, lost yeah. our son he's, like, yeah. he's not dead he's just exactly yeah. like going like you know and, and everything she fought for her whole life mm. he's now gone to like everything she's yeah. fought against yeah. he's for yeah but yeah. it is interesting because he's actually battling the opposite of not not the bad side. He's he's battling the force. Not yeah. The evil. I love that. That every time you think he's got any inkling of like light yeah. or the gray area, it like subverts your expectations. And yeah. Jedi did that so well in the next film, where you know where you think he's joining up with her, but he's actually just doubling down on the evil. Like he's yeah. going actually further into it. And also with the obviously the pivotal scene in this film, where you Whoa. think you know, he's struggling. He's like, no, I need you to kind of uh, help me te- you know, allay my guilt or whatever it is. Well, we're back yeah. to the genius of Kylo's character, aren't we? And also Adam Driver's performance in terms of he is so conflicted. And what I was saying earlier is he comes across as so cool, calm, collected, so you very much he's evoking Darth Vader. And the first moment that you really get revealed, oh, no, he's a different kind of character, is when he gets told that uh, Finn and Poe have escaped and he completely destroys, yeah. like, you know, um, some bit of equipment in front of him with his lightsaber and goes completely nuts. And he has tantrums like this during the film a couple of times. And you go, oh, Darth Vader would have never have done that. Like, mm. you know, in terms of this guy is, is out of control. Yeah. Like, he's really upset. And also reveals him to be a younger, more yeah. impetuous kind of character yeah. uh, who's kind of, you know, gay. Yeah. He's, he's that privileged yeah. kid who's and like... Even like, his lightsaber is unstable, you know, his, his hacky sack lightsaber like, <laughs> put together himself and it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, even that's not stable enough. Yeah. And you did come across like he was holding a vibrator. <laughs> I'll show that, you that, the dark side. That's your problem. Uh, <laughs> but you're saying about the dad reveal. I do remember the second time I saw it in the cinema, which is the first time with you, and there was a guy in the audience who kept going out to the toilet every time that came up. So he like dashed out when Snoke went, your father, Han Solo, he comes back. They dashed out again when Han and Leia meet up, comes back in. And I think he went out a third time and it's like, bent on the bridge. I'm like, dude, come back here today. There is a boy to kill him. Well, of course, you were alluding to the scene that this builds up to where Kylo tragically yeah. murders uh, Han Solo. And I agree, the go thing is it's still kind of like, can, um, you know, speculate on kind of like what, what he was thinking and feeling at that time whether he was any close to being turned, you know, we only will, the context of the trilogy will we kind of really sort of see all the pit part. I would have loved it if Chewie went mental. Mm. Like, when he saw that, because he just, he gets angry, but yeah, I would have loved it if he went and went completely just mental. Just goes berserker. Just just like, off the side. Yeah, yeah. Like X-Men berserker rage. Yeah, everything. heads off. I mean, I do love that when Kylo murders uh, Han, that Chewie forgets himself for that moment, kind of, you know, screams blue murder and shoots him straight away. Into, and you've got to think, hey, 
this kid is uh, Chewie's best friend's yeah. son. Yeah. So at one point, you've yeah. got to imagine yeah. that there was a moment where Chewie was holding baby yeah, Kylo. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of thing, like, <laughs> and for him to be like, no, you know what? You just killed my best friend. Fuck you! Yeah. 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 And I mean, that's amazing. Because there's another scene as well that they cut with um, where Ren goes on the Falcon, which is on the ice planet. So he's walking through it and you kind of just get the sense that like he's walking back through his past. And like, you know, as a child, he would have been on the Falcon like with dad. And it's just mm. like, so there's kind of, you know, there's so much family history. Here. So in that moment when Dewey shoots him, you know, that you, that's yeah. all that's playing out there. You don't need to kind of have seen it. Yeah. Um, but it leads to the great showdown in the woods where he is bleeding out, essentially. I mean, you shoot in a Sith or what we assume is a Sith, but like, that's it. He's kind of like, puts the odds like where, you know, Ray and, and Finn Ray <clears> kind of just about survive that one. But the way he's like punching the wound, oh yeah, it's amazing. Like uh, you know, just keeps on hitting. Like, that's a pure, that's a pure, dri- that's a pure driver move. That feels like something almost he would have added in. Yeah, like, yeah, in terms of well, yeah, bomb effort. This, let's forget this guy. Well, it's almost action. like if like, you yes, do that, you're yeah. going to get more adrenaline shot yeah. through your system, aren't yeah. you? You're yeah. just going to be like, just keep pounding that wound because I'm just going to get more angry at myself. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, the the thing is, this is. I mean, there's obviously lots of fan wank kind of spouted about this movie and the whole new trilogy but one of the things that people often bang on about is Ray Desi Ridley's character in this film is oh absurdly powerful going like you know for the beginning which I never got that idea in terms of I was like number one why is there a weird rule of how powerful you can be in this complete fantasy yeah. universe <laughs> going like yeah if you're um, a woman apparently yeah. so and number two it's like I don't think she is right. I think that they make multiple statements of going like oh she's yeah. strong we sense that she's strong the force right okay strong yeah. the force that means she is powerful yeah. but she's untrained and therefore kind of like yeah. you know she doesn't really she's got the power doesn't really know how to use it well everything's set up and paid off like so yeah. when she kind of like breaks the imperial uh, computer like pulling out that thing to uh, the shield or whatever she has a bit she's taken apart Star Destroyers at the beginning for parts so she knows mm. the Imperial system exactly yeah, yeah. you've seen like oh she can use a, a, a sword well she's been using that staff beating the shit out of people like yeah, you know, all the time yeah. to survive for years it's like, yeah. it's like everything's set up and paid off Yoda's really powerful do we now have to go do a backstory about why Yoda like where <laughs> yeah. he came from like obviously we don't know yeah. but like why did he become the most powerful Jedi what is he having him like mm-hmm. who like it just take it for what it is yeah, why do yeah. we accept it because it's a green Big-eared alien. And she still screws up because she pulls the wrong thing to open, she opens mm. up the Rathtar doors by accident. Yeah. Yeah, she gets yeah. swatted aside at the beginning of the lightsaber fight into the tree. And in that so, final sequence, what happens if you notice before he reminds her, basically, that she's strong in the Force, yeah. she actually is barely holding her own against him because although she can operate a sword and stuff like that, she is untrained, so she's just kind of getting annihilated by him. And then he goes, oh, yeah, remember you're strong in the Force. And she's like, yes, I am, thank you. Fuck you. Yeah. And then she goes in on him. And she is just... <laughs> and it, you feel like it's just pure raw power, like, more than anything. And he's injured yeah. as well. Yeah. So it's and not like... swinging around. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. It's just that you feel she's kind of just bashing him, bashing him with the lightsaber. And she's just really powerful, kind of, in that moment. But it's kind of, you know, all over the place. And which is why, obviously, the next film, she's got to go and train. Yeah. From that. But, you know, 
at the end of the day, it's a movie for yeah, kids. Exactly. Kids don't kids don't sit around like we are right now and going, hold on a second. Let's, <laughs> let's really, you yeah, know, in yeah. seventy seven, people are like, yeah, that guy's Vader's bad and he's really powerful. The Emperor's more powerful. Cool. Yeah. Let's yeah. let's have some yeah. fun. There's a seven foot dog. <laughs> no, you just yeah. accept the universe. And to this day, I think what Disney have done really successfully is they still go no. This is a movie for children. Yes. This isn't exactly. a movie for 40-year-old men or 50-year-old men who are mm. trying to be nostalgic. Nobody's taken those movies away. Nobody's yeah. changed those Except movies. Except George Lucas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, regardless of like what they feel as the, tril- the, the prequels or what they've done with, with what Disney's doing... You still have those movies. They're yeah. still there. They're still what you what you remember them to be. Go back and watch them. Nobody's remade those. I mean, they've remastered them. But yeah. they haven't remade them. So they're there if you want them to be nostalgic. These movies, like the prequels, were my when I was a teenager. So in a weird way, I have very nostalgic feelings for the prequels because they were. I got to see a Star Wars film in the cinema for the first time. And then these ones are going to be for this new generation. Mm. And that's that's what it is. It's a kids movie. And there's so many... That's the thing. Like, the wonderful thing of it for me is watching it and go, oh, the amount of little girls who will be loving Ray and yeah. kind of dressing up as her really and kind so. of like picking yeah. up a lightsaber. And it's so cool, man. It's like... Yeah. And like I say, to me, like, the, the thing that blew my mind was when I went to see Force Awakens, the thing I was excited about was seeing all the classic characters again was seeing Han, seeing Leia, seeing Luke. And then when I actually watched the film, immediately I was completely sold by Ray, Finn, Poe. I was like, I love these guys yeah. straight away. Oh, And that is the joy of it for me in terms of it captures that feeling of when you were a child and you just really feel this is such a classic good versus evil tale yeah. and you just instantly go like, these are my guys. Like, I yeah. love them to bits. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. That's great, you know. Yeah, I, I, I can't. I have nothing bad to say about this movie, really. So, uh, yeah, no, that's uh, like I mean, literally the the only thing I would say that I think with the new trilogy is slightly odd is that they, if we say that Ray, um, Finn, and Poe are meant to be our new Luke, Han, and Leia, uh, I feel like, and that's certainly kind of how it's been, kind of you know, pushed, kind of thing, and then Kylo's the new. Darth Vader, um, they've gone about it a very different way from the original trilogy in terms of you really don't feel, I mean, literally, I think Poe doesn't even meet Rey properly until like the final scene of Last Jedi or something like that. And you kind of think it feels almost a little bit odd that they haven't become a cohesive kind of trio, that they've kind of been set up in that way and then they've gone a different direction. I get the feeling Rise of Skywalker is going to be much more towards that way, but like, you know. Possibly, but I think, you know, actually when the original trilogy, I mean, they do spend some time together as a three in the first movie, but it's not like until the third movie where they're back as a three. So Mm. pretty much Empire, they're all split up as well, Mm. like, and they're never kind of in the same place. And there's a bit where Luke doesn't, you know, says bye to Han at the start of Empire, doesn't see him again until the end of the next film. Yeah, I suppose because you already you've already had them come together in the yeah. first one yeah so like, it's almost yeah. like doing it backwards perhaps like you know yeah. sort of, but yeah. they'll be the closest they are in the third it feels <laughs> that this one sets them all up individually mm-hmm. Last Jedi is their own adventures and then three is gonna you know nine is gonna yeah. all back together again I love that this is coming out whenever he's seen it now so it's, but yeah. we can laugh at tell us how we're wrong yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well that's the thing it's just yeah we haven't got a clue and like you say they have done a very good job really 
of keeping kind of like their secrets I think like yeah. throughout like in terms of like you know because I'm you, you know me I'm not someone who's massively I'm not someone who's going to turn around and scream in your face for kind of spoiling something for me or anything like that like you know um, I'm cool I don't go seeking out spoilers or whatever like that but if I see something I'm not particularly bothered I'll still enjoy the film um but with Star Wars, like the films so far, because I will see them when they come out, it's yeah. not like I'll be waiting months to see Rise of Skywalker. Like, yeah, so far I've been completely kind of like saved on any secrets and seen them completely fresh without any worries. And, you know, it has been uh, a nice experience, certainly with Force Awakens in terms of... I feel like Last Jedi, <clears throat> because I was slightly conflicted with some of the choices... Uh, that they made in that story. I'm looking forward to watching that again, having actually knowing what's going to happen yeah. already, so I can watch it. And that's the thing. Sometimes it is nice to know because I think I might enjoy it more exactly. maybe the second time. As I said, I think Solo improved for me immensely on the rewatch, just because it's free of any expectations. So yeah, yeah. Although Solo had no surprises for me. <laughs> like uh, way of, no, but, it's uh, just yeah. a it's just a heist movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, I yeah. Just, like, just if you let just it'd be fun. Like we're talking about this for kids. Let it be yeah, just, just it's, it is literally that. Yeah, it's just it was Rogue One. It's a it's like a, there you go. Yeah, have fun. Solo. When we were shooting the Mother Proxima stuff, one time Brian Herring came into me. It's like my favorite story. Now I'm just blowing smoke up my own ass. He goes, um, what are you boys doing? I was like, Brian, because it was in the water tank, Mother Proxima stuff, and we'd done two weeks just in the water. It's like Brian, I'm just going home, and he was like. <laughs> Give me 10 minutes. I was like, Brian, I am spent another day in the water tank. Right? We have to come back again tomorrow. Like, just He's like, just give me 10 minutes. So we, I was like, all right. And we walked over to another stage. And we, we all, you, you, if you are part of the core team, you have a pass to get into any of the stages. So we got into the stage. And there was nobody on this stage. <clears throat> and it, the Falcon's there. They, for the first time, they built the whole interior of a Falcon. Usually, you just built the sections. They built the Falcon so you could walk up the ramp and then walk around the whole Falcon. You'd see Lando's closet and his room, the, the table, everything. And then uh, so it was me, Brian, and Tom. And uh, for about 20 minutes, we we're the only people on the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. And I remember sitting with Tom in the chair. <laughs> in the in the captain's chair, in Han's chair. And he's in Chewie's chair. I was like, this is bonkers. This is absolutely nuts. And I think it just dovetails because me and Tom finished on nine together. And um, I remember Simon Pegg, another Star, Star Trek connection. Who's in this? Of yeah. course, yeah. Uh, right before we were about to film the Luggaby stuff, um, Pegg was there because he was doing the Uncar Plutt stuff. But right. he was just visiting set. He okay. hadn't, he, his Uncar Plutt stuff wasn't going to be shot for another couple of days. But he was there and we were sat in the tent with him because we weren't allowed to do anything. <laughs> so it was me... Tom, his assistant, and Simon. We were just chatting to Simon for a, a while. And we said, well, we're quite nervous. This is like the first movie we've ever done. And, you know, we haven't done anything like this. And I remember he said, well, look, obviously you've done something right. You're here. Just keep doing what you're doing and you'll make it to the end. Mm -hmm. Now, in that context, he made it, he meant to the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. But in a serendipitous, uh, not, uh, uh, a very lovely sort of dovetail, we've made it to the end of five films. And I remember being on the last day of episode nine. And I looked at Tom and I went, remember what Peg said to us on our first, like one of our first days? He said, if we just kept doing what we're doing, we'd make it to the end. And I was like, oh, we did, man. And I really wish Peg was 
there, not to make any spoilers, but <laughs> I really yeah. wanted to say, Peg, hey, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> just suddenly Peg just pops in. I was like, hey, guys. Yeah. Yeah. I was here too. It appears as a false ghost. <laughs> I know you <I> heard. <laughs> yeah. He was a cool dude. Yeah, he was a really, really cool well, dude. Well, you know he was like fanboying out like there as well yeah. I mean, absolutely and I think if anybody's been nervous it would have been him because it's yeah. like you know no matter what he'd done before this was Star Wars and what I mean everything to him there so, was a rumour that a lovely story, like, he wanted an anagram for his name mm. that was a rumour and then he got credited as Simon Pegg but I think what he yeah. really wanted was an anagram of Simon Pegg he asked them to he has a couple star tattoos on his forearm and he asked if Onkar Pluck could have those tattoos on his forearm because there's that scene mm. very famously cut out of the movie where he finds Ray in or not Ray he goes to Maz's castle and he's like mm. Chewy and he's like Chewy's injured and he's like half a Wookiee ain't much and he rips off Simon Pegg's arm because there's that famous line don't upset a Wookiee yeah. he'll rip your arm off yeah they, oh. so we shot that and he rips off Unkar Plutt's arm and throws it on the table and you just see the sort of the tattoos <laughs> yeah um, obviously it didn't make it in that's another great sort of a new hope callback with the severed arm on the yeah see it's just it's all there yeah 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 I haven't seen that after check out. I only put it on the second Blu-ray. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You were saying about how um, you know these uh, toxic fans can go back and watch the originals, everything like that. But of course, as we referenced, uh, Uncle George has unfortunately <laughs> tampered with his masterpieces, and probably the biggest tragedy of this is uh, yes of course uh, is making it so uh, Greedo shoots first in uh, the original and Star Wars and they just keep adding to that scene yeah I know every like, 10, they've every, just done it again every 10 or 15 years yeah. they're going what else can we add into yeah. this we've done this people off more it just reminds me of like when you've you've done a, you've made a film and you, you've, you're editing it together and you know you're missing a shot and you're yeah. just m- playing with the footage so much and minute it's like make it fast make it slow reverse it flip it and just trying to make it work and you just know you haven't got it and it's always going to be a crap edit. Yeah. That's basically what he's got here and should have realised you can't change it. It was the way it was and you can do anything. But it was great. It was great. Yeah, it was so good. You can't add an ambulance in the back of the truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Die hard. No, you exactly. just have to go, eh. Exactly. <laughs> but what I was going to say was, for me, I, this is the thing that marks JJ out as a fan. For me, they can't write that because the Han Solo in this film yeah. is the fucking Han Solo who shot first because yeah. there's that bit where that monstrous beast is coming yeah. along in the and he punches a guy out and throws him into the fucking pieces <laughs> like teeth he still, so, and he still has the best Hollywood punch in the game yeah. when he's going along he's so got the he's indie punch he's deliberately killing that guy even though he doesn't need to he's just punched him out going like yeah and he throws him and I was like that is the hard who fucking shot first you know what I mean yeah, yeah I mean it was only Iron Jones punch that was it he was yeah. like actually pulling it back like his really? bloody cross <laughs> yeah it was great that was one of my favourite moments as well you were talking about criticisms of the film and they are extremely few and far between because I think it's fucking incredible but here's my big criticism the usage of the raid guys. So at what during that uh, scene that we were just talking about, two of the stars of oh, yeah. the greatest martial arts yeah. epic ever made, the raid, turn up. And when we heard these guys have been cast in the film, we were like, we were oh them with lightsabers, God, lightsaber raid style battles. They're yeah. gonna be it's gonna be so incredible. Uh, it would be how you reacted to Donnie Yen yeah, in yeah, yeah. Uh, Rogue One. And then they turn up, they don't do anything. That's <laughs> such a shame. Yeah. But I, I couldn't. I literally couldn't work it out. It was almost like, did you literally just hire them 
because the raid was big at the time yeah. and went, that's it, that's all we need. Like, because you just think, oh, why wouldn't you utilise those guys' skills? Why? I know. It's like they followed from the NSYNC thing for episode two where, you know, they were supposed to be in that. What NSYNC? <laughs> NSYNC were like, well, we were to be like, and Justin Timberlake were in the oh Jedi battle thing. But I mean, to be fair, Justin Timberlake probably would have been as good as Hayden Christensen <laughs> in the first. We know that now. Like, so, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, thank you, Derek, for your time. I understand you got yeah. to up, but it's been great to chat to you and hear some yeah, stories from the set and uh, and Yeah, man. About... Anytime you guys want to maybe come back, I'll, I'll come back. Oh, well, well, let's yeah. talk Star Trek. Can chat anything. Anytime well, I think stuff. you need to come back. I was going to ask you about it now, but you know what? I think we'll save it in terms of you seem so passionate about Voyager. Oh, my we're God. Gonna, yeah. We're, we're going to start doing some episodes where we get awesome Star Trek fans like yourself to yeah. come on and just pick a favourite episode just chat about yeah. it, so like, you should come back and talk oh, about Voyager yeah. and pick your favourite episode pick it, yeah, and, yeah. Just, and just I mean that's really hard and what story arc yourself. really annoys me I really <laughs> wish Chakotay didn't go with Nine I thought that yeah. was horrendous but yeah anything I mean I wish I still wish I had my toys from Next Generation I used to have the transporter. You ever have the transporter? Yeah, oh, wow. I don't, I don't yeah, so you put the guy in, it plays lights uh, and sound, and he disappears. Essentially, it's just like mirror. or something. No, it's yeah. just a light flicks in front of a mirror, and it just reflects it's the incredible. interior. Uh, I used to have the okay. deck of the next generation with every character. When oh, I specifically bought every character. To Did you do sure. this later on or when you were a kid? When I was a kid. Wow. Yeah, I used to have like transporters, everything. Yeah. Like my dad, because my dad was just like, let's just buy you everything if you want it. And I was like, I love it. desperately trying to indoctrinate you. It's like, because remember, yeah. you weren't sold until you had all the toys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Micro, like the micro ones of like, machines. Uh, are great, oh my yeah. goodness. Of, of all the ships, and then you'd open them up, and then you'd have all the pieces. My one they, big loss that I'd lost all of those. Yeah. No, I've lost all of mine. All of them. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, Voyager. Oh, my God, yeah. Anytime. I love Voyager. Amazing. Oh, I love Jane. It's a date. It's a date. Right, let's go around the table, do the usual final thoughts and uh, star ratings. Uh, Derek, do you want to go first? I don't know if you want to abstain from star rating for a film you worked on or... No, I'll rate it. <laughs> I, I was amazing. <laughs> well, well done, five me. Yeah. I give it five gold stars out of two. Amazing. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but yeah. Uh, cool. Well, yeah, ten out of ten. That's enough. Okay, incredible. <laughs> Matt? Yeah, it's a very high 4.5. Which, I, I, hey, I'm stringent with five stars. I mean, it's it's Too creeping stringent, up. Mate. Too it's, it's, it's landed on four point five every time I watched it, and it's only because I don't know. I'll see how nine ties it all together. It what is much. your problem? Hey, I just don't give fives to anyone. Okay. <laughs> so I would give this five stars. It is he my does. third favorite Star Wars film. Empire number one. Yeah. Original Star War number two. Yeah. Star Wars. And then foot number three would be Force Awakens. I, I, I think it completely me, yeah. recaptures the joy I felt watching these films <laughs> as a kid. Uh, I think just the achievement of creating all those new characters are all so watchable and immediately engaging and actually pulling off the feet of not having Luke until the end, which is an amazing moment yep. in terms of when he actually turns up. Really Hamill looks yeah. fucking I, great. Oh, no lines. I needed something else to kind of hit the same heart rate as I had at the end of Planet Rates remake. That was the... For a good reason. This for a good reason this time. In all of cinema. Like, when they got to that ending, yeah. I was like, how can you make us wait? And to, to hold him not to say anything is like... Yeah. The, it's like... God. It's like the Sopranos just going... Yeah, cut to yeah. that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, it was the fact that at the time, 
literally when it came out, the Last Jedi was meant to be coming out only 18 months later. And then they pushed it back yeah. to the Christmas because yeah. they went, oh, we'll make it the Christmas slot from yeah. now on. And I was like, oh, could you make us wait so long? Um, but yeah, I just I just love it. I think that even things like the lightsaber, they hold the lightsaber back yeah. until someone actually fighting with it into that very last moment yeah. with a big... It's like, so you, you think all these elements that you desperately need and yet they kind of like do it. And <laughs> yeah, oh, I'd never like Snoke. I'm glad he died in Last Jedi. Like, he is my other criticism. But he appears in it very fleetingly. So, it is fine. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention, just because it was became a massive internet sensation uh, when it happened, was <laughs> the uh, moment where they're in the middle of a pitched battle and suddenly you hear the word, Traitor! And oh, <laughs> yeah. so you see the stormtrooper, like obviously, and I would love to know how this came out. I have no idea if you know anything about this, Derek. No. Uh, where suddenly a lone stormtrooper appears and he kind of got a super weapon, like a kind of staff type thing that he kind of flips around and then he fights uh, Finn in it. Like, I mean, this moment is so random but also brilliant it's got the randomness yeah. of the guy popping out of the sand yeah. that, I, that I adore about it because what I thought was like this guy's a stormtrooper mm-hmm. he's just another kind of you know well, no, kind of jogging you know, like, it's kind of famous in the stormtrooper community that someone in their ranks broke with it because Finn's like his name's Mud yeah, oh yeah completely, the first completely. but I was yeah. like and just one of them took really it took yeah, really personally but I was like why does this guy care I was like he's such a fucking jobs worth he's <laughs> the guy who like you turn up to work and you think oh the bosses haven't noticed it's fine and then some guy's like who's not even like a boss or a manager or anything he's like mm, yeah five minutes it's like, it's like, what do you care, mate? Just fuck off. It's always one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like you were saying about the delay in the lightsaber, like, that's a chance to have a lightsaber fight, but it's not like lightsaber on lightsaber. lightsaber. It's kind of just a yeah. defensive thing, isn't it? And then later on, you get the yeah, final yeah. battle. So, five stars across the board, apart from Matt, who brings the party down. five stars. And you are now fired from Force. <laughs> it. It's um, the film I have watched the most since starting Letterboxd. Don't care. Give a fuck. <laughs> Derek, no, where can we you. find you on social media? Uh, I'm on Twitter. So okay. Actor D. Arnold, I think it is. Uh, and that's pretty much Facebook is a non-existent thing in my life. Mm. Can you tell us what you're working on next? Or is it all NDA'd up to the uh, website? Uh, yeah, so um, what was the last thing I did? Us uh, NDA'd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I finished a feature film. Uh, about a month or two ago uh, and then I'm in pre-production for two feature films starting in January well so if there's NDAs involved we yeah. know they're big shit so yeah. like it's like yeah. they're pretty good yeah <laughs> the next one's coming up I'm really excited so about. hopefully when yeah. you come back and talk to us about Voyager yeah. you'll be able to tell us all the stories yeah. of those That's as well pretty much Can't my like, life yeah you can find us at Spotlight Pod on Instagram Facebook Twitter all the social medias we are there leave us a five star review not a 4.5 fucking star <laughs> like Matt Brothers may the force be with you Me. goodbye Me. bye